Energize, the Lawn Friend Podcast is brought to you by Hustler Hollywood, your one-stop shop for all things erotica, with 11 stores across the United States. Our sexy shelves are stocked with DVDs, books, lingerie, vibrators, butt plugs, lubricants, fetish gear, and bachelorette party supplies. At Hustler Hollywood, we know that sex is free. We only sell the accessories. If you're at our flagship store on the Sunset Strip, located across the street from the world-famous Rainbow Roxy and Whiskey, ask for Blaze or TC. Mention Energize and you'll get a delicious discount on something delightfully dangerous. LF and LF, Lawn Friend and Larry Flint, energetically connected for more than 30 years. Scotty, Energize. Good evening, Planet Rock, Lawn Friend here, Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. Happy to be once again hosted by Jeff Young and Sherry Klein somewhere in the flats of Las Vegas. On the Skype, no hype, we're right, ready for rapid. Toes are tapping. I am absolutely excited this evening because I have a resident of Las Vegas on the show this tonight. I'm going to introduce him in a few minutes. I've known him my whole life. That's not hyperbole. It's not like, hey, we've been friends forever, man. No, no. I've literally known this man my entire life, like since the first day I was born. <laughs> I might as well introduce him right now. Don Friend, welcome to Energize. Hi, Lon. <laughs> Good to hear from you. <laughs> see i don't have to call as often now no you had to move up here to see me huh? <laughs> how about that are you happy to have me back in the desert pop what's that are you happy to have me back in the desert oh yes then i can keep track of what you're doing <laughs> then i can give you the advice that you hate to take <laughs> <laughs> well uh it was um 57 years ago and I was born <clears throat> and uh, the man who planted the seed of my incarnation was, is sitting next to me. Do you remember the day I was born? Yes, you cried like a baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> well, so let's just... You know, strange things happened when we lived in L.A. Right. where you were born. Right. You remember when I was carrying you as a you were just a few months old. Right. And I fell down the last couple of stairs, and his head hit the stairway. He'd never been the same since. Oh, then. Pop. Remember that? No. No. I no. was six months it, old. But they, they couldn't do anything. His shoulder was out of whack a little. And it healed by itself. Thanks for dropping me on my head when I was a child. Yeah. Explain so much to the fans out there around the world. What's that? It explains a lot. You dropped me on my head when I was six months old. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and you've been going ever since. So let's, let's, let's just backtrack a second. Well, maybe that <clears throat> helped you. 
I was in show business. You yeah, you were in show that. business, and I've always referred to you as the piano man, my dad the piano man, who gave me my love of music, because I don't have any innate talent. I'm not a musician like, like my host, Jeff Young, or, or, the, or the many, many great artists that I've covered and interviewed over the 30-year course of my career. You were how I found music, because it's in the DNA. You've been a musician since how old? When did you start playing piano? I was four and a half years old when I started playing piano. You don't hear the story about my mother. Was We had an upright piano in Chicago where we lived, where I was born. And it was in an apartment, four-room apartment. But there was an upright babe piano, Kimball. And I was four and a half. I was able to go to the piano and pick out songs and chords. My mother thought I was a genius. She was amazed. I couldn't read or write yet, you know. Right. So she took me down to Chicago Musical College. Said, I want the teachers to listen to you. And she said, I want you to hear my Donnie play piano. And I, they all laughed a little bit. <laughs> and they said, play something for me, Donnie. So I, I played a song for them. And they were flabbergasted. They said, this boy needs lessons. So she started me on lessons. My mother was my biggest booster and my biggest support and the one that was responsible for me learning the piano. Right. And she could sing, too, huh? Yes. Oh, she sang. Yeah. But she made me practice every day. I, could, I wanted to go outside, play with the kids. She said, no, oh, you got to practice. I practiced that piano. And she made me practice, which is why I can do play anything By today. Ear. By ear. I Hello, was, sir. I was blessed with an ear that I could play anything I hear. Awesome. And we have an audience. You know, that's the history of the piano. Okay. So at what age did you enter the entertainment business? Well, I really started. I really started when I was uh, in high school. Okay. I had a little band. I used to play for dances. Then I went to Roosevelt College and got my music degree. Okay. And I went out west to L.A. to find my fortune. And I wrote in Sweet Demotion, my second book, that you went and joined the Local 47 That's right. on Vine. Well, I was a member of the Chicago Union first. Okay. And I transferred to Los Angeles 47. Okay. And they had a, at those days, they had a bulletin board. Right. Guys were looking for musicians. Right. And this guy had an opening. He was looking for a piano player. Okay. And I went and auditioned, and he liked me because I could play every song he named. Mm -hmm. And he was flabbergasted. So I joined him for two years. He wrote the biggest novelty song ever came oh, out. Oh, that's Mike Riley, right? Right. Okay. Mike Riley and his Madcaps. That's what we were known as. <laughs> it was a crazy group. But he wrote a song called The Music Goes Round and Round. Okay which the older people today still remember it. Yeah, sing a chorus from it. You remember it? Sing it. It was all about a trumpet right? with the three valves. Okay. Because he played a horn. Okay. And that was a song, and people, older people can still sing it today. So I got into show business two years with him. Yeah. Traveled, met some of the big people in the business. And this is in the 50s, early 50s? This was in the early 50s. Okay, before 50s. I was born. In fact, our first engagement, before I got married, first engagement was at the Golden Nugget 
in Las Vegas. Bring downtown, it home. Downtown. And we before there were hotels there. It was yeah. just a bar and a casino. And opposite us was one of the greatest jazz violinists ever played. I met this guy, and I became good friends with him. His name was... You know? <laughs> <laughs> What was you remember his, him? What was his name? Jazz, Jazz violinist. violinist. Okay. Joe Venuti. Joe Venuti. Okay. Yeah. Real well-known violinist okay. back in those days. Okay. But he was also a real crazy guy. Yeah. He would do crazy, wild things. He was a big favorite of Bing Crosby's. Okay. Did a lot of things with Bing. Right. And Joe and I got to be good friends. My big thing that I started doing, I'd get up and sing and do an impression of Johnny Ray. Okay. And I'd rip a shirt off. Every show. Wow. You know, Johnny Prince. Ray had a knack for laying on the floor, kicking his feet. Yeah. And I did that and became a big number. And Joe Venuti used to call me Johnny Ray. When I used to go visit him, he was playing somewhere. He would always call me up, says, do your number. And we did it. So since we're in Las Vegas and, you, and you're going back to like the Rat Pack days, right? Oh, yes. I'll tell you something. <clears throat> People who live in Las Vegas today don't know what they missed. If you were here in Las Vegas in the 50s, 60s, it was the greatest time of show business. It was the town, and it didn't cost you nothing to go see a show, to see a big name. You, you, you do, you, they were playing in the lounges for nothing. Don Rickles was headlining in the Sahara Lounge, and it cost you nothing to go see him. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to go in, you could stand outside in the casino part and watch him. Mm-hmm. And his, his 5 o'clock in the morning show was the biggest show in the town. Wait, they, they, wait! performers never go on at those hours anymore. They're, they're too pristine. The big crazy. thing about it, all the other performers in the city would come there at 5 o'clock mm-hmm. so that Don Rickles could pick on them. <laughs> that was his big thing. And they loved having being picked on, you know. Yeah. And that was a big thing. The place was mobbed at 5 o'clock in the morning. It was the last. In those days, the hotels had entertainment from morning till night. Where did you play? Some of them 24 hours. Besides the Golden Nugget, where else did you play in Vegas? We played at the Fremont. Right. And we played at the the Mint, which was owned by the Sahara people. Okay. And it's funny. I'm just reading a book about Johnny Carson. Right. He played at the Sahara for a long time mm-hmm. in between his tonight stints. And he mentioned in the book, the entertainment director, Stan Irwin, he was the guy that booked us in to the Mint, which was owned by the Sahara. It is now part of the Horseshoe. Right. Horseshoe bought it up later. Okay. okay. But we played there, and then we played up at Lake Tahoe and Reno. I brought you up to Lake Tahoe when you were a little boy. Wait, 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 wait. You brought me to Lake Tahoe? Yeah, you how, and your brother. How, and your how, mo- how old was and I? And your mother, you were, I guess you had to be. Five or six. It was about 1961. Five. You had to be five years old. Okay. And Rick was two. Yeah. And we put you up, we had him a room in a motel there, and I played at Harris there. Right. At Lake Tahoe. Okay. And it was, at that time, it was the biggest casino I had ever seen anywhere. Mm-hmm. It was huge. And across the street was Harvey's right. Wagon Wheel. That's all there was there, just those two places. <laughs> and it was a great time. The reason Las Vegas was so good, I'm going to say this in spite of 
The boys owned the hotel at that time. <laughs> the boys. The boys. Yeah. Every city, you know, of the mobster, they had a hotel of their own. Mm-hmm. But they treated the entertainers like a king and queen. Right. It was the greatest time. You didn't have to work six straight hours. Right. You did three shows a night, and you always alternated with somebody else. Mm-hmm. In the, this was in the lounges. Mm-hmm. So it was, and they gave you a beautiful dressing room that you had, and they picked up tabs on you, anything you wanted. They were nice people to work for. I remember you telling me once that you met Harry James back then. We worked at Harris at Lake Tahoe. Right. And we alternated with Harry James' band twice. And Harry, at that time, had Buddy Rich on drums. And it was a great time. We got to be good friends. I played golf with these guys when we were at Tahoe. And Buddy Rich loved our group. You remember little Tepper? Yeah, Herbie Tepper. With Tepper and Friend. Right. Tepper played a stand-up drum. He was four foot ten. <laughs> and I was six foot three. <laughs> and we had a girl singer, Inga Nielsen. Inga Nielsen. Her real name was Esther Lazar. <laughs> but, but she was a beautiful girl. Yeah. With tall hair. Yeah. And she sang. Buddy Rich loved to walk up pick up Herbie's cymbal while he was playing it and walk away. <laughs> it was hilarious. In the lounge, he'd come in and have fun with us. Hey, Pop. Yeah. Do you remember You Made Me Love You by Harry James? Oh, yes. Would you like to hear it right now? Yeah. All right. Lawn Friend and Don Friend on Energize the Lawn Friend podcast tonight. We're talking old school. So let's get some Harry James. Yeah. <laughs>
Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast, but now we're going to rename my show the Don Friend Podcast because my father has effectively usurped the mic because he's got more stories than I have. I know a lot of you guys have been following me in my career and that it's cool that I flew on planes with Guns N' Roses and Metallica, but when you hear the shit about the old school, about Vegas in the 50s, and about Buddy Rich stealing your drummer's cymbal, that's good shit. That's good. It's the vintage, man. No, so go on, Pop. Talk, I'll tell you another thing. All right. Getting back to Buddy Harry James was one of the nicest guys you ever met in show business and one of the finest musicians. He played trumpet like nobody else. And one thing in rehearsal, he could play every part of the orchestra hmm. to show the guys how he wanted it. He could read on sight the saxophone part, the trombone part, you know, Every time, and you know they're all written in different keys. It was difficult. But back in those days, we had an agent out of Chicago. It was Mutual Entertainment. But before that, the name of the guy that booked us, his name was Bookie Levin. <laughs> Bookie Levin. That's right out of Casino. He, that, that's a De Niro name. And right he handled a bunch of us. And one of the other guys he handled was a group called the Newton Brothers. Okay which later became Wayne Newton. Oh, the Newton brothers. Newton, Wayne Newton started with his brother. They were known as the Newton brothers. And they played the lounges. He was underage. They had to sneak him in. He wasn't allowed to go in a casino. He was 17 years old. He is Mr. But he was Bates. so good that eventually his brother dropped out and Wayne went on by himself. And we were handled by the same agency and we played the same places. We'd follow each other in. In Reno, we played at the Harris, and then we played at the Riverside, which is a date I will never forget. Why? Because we opened on a Thursday night yeah. at the Riverside Hotel, and the orchestra playing opposite us was Tony Pastor and his orchestra. <laughs> Tony Pastor? Rosemary Clooney. Was oh. one of the singers in his orchestra at that time well, that's with my, her sister, and that's my Betty Clooney. And that's my old friend Miguel's mom. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah, that's but George her, Clooney's aunt. The Clooney sisters yeah. sang with Tony Pastor Orchestra. Right. And that was opening night. was a Thursday night. The next morning, I was in my motel, in my motel and was, I woke up, turned on the television, and, and we heard that oh, JFK got oh, right. assassinated the next morning. And I ran down to the hotel after I watched this thing. November 63. That was the only time they ever canceled entertainment in Nevada. Nothing was on that Friday night when Kennedy got killed. Mm. And I'll never forget it because those dates stick in your mind, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. It was really strange back <clears throat> in those days. But then getting back to Las Vegas, we're talking about your father. My old buddy, he started in the business, and he was handled by the same agency that we had. And he started the lounges. Shecky Green was the first big lounge entertainer. He started at the uh, Desert Inn, and then he played at the Riviera, was the big one. But then the Tropicana wanted him, and he went to the Tropicana, and he played there. He put lounges on the map. That's when everybody else started playing the lounges. He was the first, but he was crazy. He did wild things. Like? Like, he would drive his car 
into the fountain at Caesar's palace. <laughs> and he would say to him, don't, don't hold the water up. He says, I don't want to get the car wet. So, so he, was like a, he was like a precursor to Vince Neil. <laughs> What's that? He was like a precursor to Motley Crue's Vince Neil. He drove, he drove his car into the well, Shecky was the first one. <laughs> right. Shecky was, am I right? Was he a Meshuggener or not? He was crazy. <laughs> but he was really funny. He was hilarious. He could take an hour and a half and make people just roar. But he had to have time to do, do it. It's yeah. one of the reasons. He's still around, you know. Oh, I know. He came here recently, played at the Suncoast. Yeah. And then he played at the uh, South Point a couple of times. He's in his middle 80s now. Do you? Do but you... today, I, I, went, I moved back here 20 years ago. Yeah. And I wanted to get back in the, to the hotels. I went down and saw they didn't want to have me because they only played... The Sinatra music, Nat King Cole, Tony Bennett, the old music. The good stuff. The good stuff. And I know them all. I can play anything you name, and I can sing all of them. But they didn't want to have me. So So you know what my dad did? uh, You know what he did? He went and he found a gig playing for assisted living set people who, who are in their last years of their life, and he has become the Liberace of the octogenarian sec- neptogenarian set you in Las Vegas. Head, he truly, and I wrote an article about my dad in 2004 when I was living here the first time called On Golden Song for Las Vegas Life magazine. I was very proud because I went with him, and I saw how he brought so much reverie back to these people. they come in with their walkers, and they would be, Don, do bicycle built for two. <laughs> now, I'll tell you funny. Back in those days, when, when I first started playing here, back in the 60s, 70s, every hotel had a line of dancing girls. And they used to open the show and close the show. It was like a review, you know. Then you have an opening act and a headliner, whoever he was. But the dancing girls were beautiful to watch. And they weren't strippers, you know. He's, they were just he's nice, pointing right at dancers. he's pointing right at Sherry because Sherry's a dancing girl, and she started here in the in the mid '80s, and she's an iconic dancer. She's got she's got stories of her own ilk, and I'll to bring. Well, she was on my on the show last week with Jeff, but now we're Vegas centric. Doesn't mean we're not going around the world with tales of mystery and imagination all over the place, but we're Vegas centric right now because this is where I'm living. I'm back, and the stories about Las Vegas in the '50s and '60s. They're great. Now, They're Ocean's Eleven, man. This is like Ocean's Eleven stuff. I want to tell you a funny story. Okay. About what got me started here with the octogenarian set, a dancing group of ladies who are now seniors, they go around and they do shows. They're called the Happy Hoofers. <laughs> that was the name of the group when I first came here 20 years ago. And she, I, I was talking to her. I met her. And she needed an act to sort of fill in a few minutes in between their numbers. And they went to these assisted living centers to do shows. So she hired me, and she liked so much what I did that she started putting me in different places. That's how I got started yeah. with the assisted living center. Yeah. And pretty much I went on my own after that. But you just followed a, you followed a hoofer. These dancers in their 70s and 80s, and they did tap dancing routines that were with costumes, you know, and they have changes they had to do. 
that's how what's happened. And the reason I play now, I'm up in my middle 80s, and I still can play the songs that they want, and there's not many guys around anymore that can do that. So these seniors, that's what they want to hear. Good music of the past. I know one of the songs that they like to hear. What's that? Uh, if I Were a Rich Man. Oh, yes. Yeah. Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. I do the whole show. You do the whole Fiddler show? I can do the whole show. Yeah. Wow. My dad I was give a... Him the history of the show. He was a cantor here for a while, too. Sang the High Holidays. Yeah. A wise man. Had a wise guy for a kid. <laughs> you want to hear If I Were a Rich Man? Yeah. Okay, we're going to play some Tevia, some... Topol. I don't know if it's Topol, but... Is it Topol? Yeah, it's the original. I don't know if it is, but producer Mike pulled it out of the archive. You know who did the original? Topol. Zero Mostel. Oh, Zero Mostel. You're right. Sorry. Zero Mostel on okay. Broadway. Okay. Before it became a movie. Okay. All right. So we're all covering right. all the faiths. We're covering all the ages. This is Energize the Lawn and Don Friend Podcast. Dear God, you made many, many poor people. I realize, of course, that it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. So what would have been so terrible if I had a small fortune? If I were a rich man, all day long I'd biddy biddy bum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. If I were a pity, pity rich, man, I'd build a big tall house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with a real wooden floors below. There couldn't be one long staircase just going up And one even longer coming down And one more leading nowhere just for show I'd fill my yard with chicks and turkeys and geese And ducks for the town to see and hear Squawking just as noisily as they can and each slough will land like a trumpet on the ear, as if to say, Here lives a wealthy man. Oh, if I were a rich man, all day long I'd biddy biddy bum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard If I were a bitty, bitty rich Yiddle-diddle-diddle-diddle man I see my wife, my Goldie Looking like a rich man's wife With a proper double chin Supervising meals to our heart's delight I see her putting her hands and strutting like a peacock. Oh, what a happy mood she's in. Screaming at the servants day and night. 
The most important men in town will come to fall on me. They will ask me to advise them like a Solomon the wise. If you please, Reptavia, pardon me, Reptavia, posing problems that would cross a rabbi's eyes. la won't make a one bit of difference if I answer right or wrong. When you're rich, they think you really know. If I were rich, I'd have the time that I lack to sit in a synagogue and pray and maybe have a seat by the Eastern Wall. And I discuss the holy books with the learned men seven hours every day. That would be the sweetest thing of all. <laughs> oh, if I were a rich man, I all day long I'd be dee bum if I were a wealthy man. Lord who made the lion and the lamb You decreed I should be what I am Would it spoil some vast eternal plan If I were a wealthy All right, Energize the Lawn and Don Friend Podcast, January 13th, 2013, coming to you from Sin City, Spin City. This is my city, sort of. I was born in Los Angeles. My dad is born in Chicago, and we both now live in Las Vegas. It's, it's, a, it's a melting pot of musical souls, is it not? When you first got here, what was it like? When you first got here, well, you 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 retired, right? You were in Richmond, oh, Virginia. This time. When right. you first got this time around. With Sherry. Yeah, with Sherry, with with stepmom Sherry. Got to keep track of my wives. <laughs> <laughs> You've been with this one forty-five years. Oh yes, right? with this one worked. Yeah. We'll be, we've been married now since nineteen sixty-nine. Wow. Wow. So. Man, I was thirteen. But we when I we moved out here. Yeah. And my wife was scared to death, but yeah. she had a good job, and her company had an office there. Okay. And they transferred her, and I retired. And I would, that's when I, at that time, the hotels had changed yeah. from the time when before. Right. And it wasn't the same. Right. The only place I found the work, I played there nine months, <clears throat> was at the uh, Santa Fe. Okay. Out and way out. Yeah. And they had a piano bar at the time. And then I went in there with, to dinner with friends of ours who were visiting from Chicago. And he asked me to play the piano. And I got up and played. And the guy liked me so much that they hired me. I worked there for nine months. Do you remember when I took you to see Bon Jovi in Los Angeles at the Forum? Yes. Do you remember that night? Yes. What, what was so cool about that night? 
Well, what really amazed me yeah. was the knowledge that of looking at these big names that I didn't know who they were. Right. And I, I wasn't familiar with their music. Right. And it was so loud, <laughs> I had to wear earphones, <laughs> earplugs. Yes. You know? Yeah. But meeting them. Yeah. And you had such a good rapport with all of them at the time. Yeah. We got to meet them all and take pictures. Do you, you, remember, you remember you, uh, the, 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 Jeff, this is great. I played when we went to the forum shops in L.A. Yeah. And then we met Bon Jovi. Well, that was in Vegas. That was the first time. Yeah. And I played piano with the piano player. Yeah. Downstairs. Yeah, yeah. I took you in the dressing room and, you, yeah. and Dave Bryan showed you some things on the piano. And then you sat down at his keyboard. And we, we played together. <laughs> and it was nice to see a rock piano player yeah. who really had a knowledge of music. Yeah. He was really, he's really classic, good at it. He's classically trained. Yes. I, I, I went to Mozart's home with him in Vienna, Austria in 2001. Oh, really? Yeah, we took, we took a walking tour of Vienna, and it was really special. He's oh. very well schooled. Oh, yes, he is. He, you know, he has a Tony Award-winning play on Broadway that he wrote called Memphis. It's fantastic. We, he hooked me up. came out last oh. year, two years ago. But he was very good at, at the keyboard. And we played together. We did some jazz things, some old jazz, which is really funny, like Satin Doll. <laughs> Here's what I remember. Don't get around This is what I now. remember about that night. Um, bringing my dad backstage, but it's, it's right after they get off stage. So John and Richie are taking their showers, and I just walk into the dressing room with my lamb, and I sit down on the sofa with my dad. And, and they come out with their towels on. Yeah. And Richie looks at the sofa, and he goes, this must be Lon's dad. <laughs> In that Sammy Davis voice of his. Yeah. That was fun. But they were very nice then at that time. Yeah. It was really a nice time. It was a enjoyable. I had never seen a rock concert before. That's right. And we went out and sat with the sound man. At the soundboard, right? The soundboard. Mm -hmm. And I got to say one thing. I'm not a follower of rock music. I never liked it. I'm more in the old school. Yeah. But I really respect the work that goes into putting on a show. Yeah. With with the sound and the choreography mm -hmm. and everything that they go into. I said that takes a lot of work. Yeah. That I know. Yeah. Which is really so different from when I was on the road. The guys would carry their own instruments. The clubs we played had a sound system, had lights and a piano. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have to carry all that stuff that yeah. they carry today. How come, you they, how come you never got in trouble like other musicians? You weren't a drinker, right? Well, I'll tell you something. You want to know why? Why? Tell you why. First job we had at the Golden Nugget right. with Mike Riley. Okay. Mike was a drinker. Right. He thought he could be funny after he had a bottle of wine put down. Mm -hmm. So Right at the first show, I had never seen this before. He drank a whole bottle of wine, and he thought he could be hilarious, but he never stopped drinking right. on breaks, and he would start repeating himself. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought he was funny. Right. With the drinking, I said, I had never drank before. We never drank at home right. when I was a kid. Right. There was never any liquor in the house back in, in Chicago. So I said, well, I got to get, I got to do something like this if I'm going to be in show business. 
So I went to the bar and I started tasting the drink, trying. Mm -hmm. It tasted so bad to me <laughs> that it turned me off to drinking, that I never drank since then, because I thought it tasted terrible, you know, and, and I couldn't drink it. And I never smoked. Right. I had an incident. This was really, oh, you're going to like this. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to like this. We went up to, we got booked into Alaska, Anchorage. Okay. Mike Riley and, and Red Coffee was the drummer. Okay. He used to do the duck voices for the cartoons. Okay. When he wasn't working with us. <laughs> All you know? right. He was really good at it. He'd sing Home on the Range like a duck. <laughs> and it was a big number. It would go over hilarious. <laughs> okay. So we were playing in Anchorage, Alaska. And I'm a young 23 years old, you know. I said, wow. Beautiful club. Anch Alaska wasn't a state then. It was just a territory. Okay. And one night, a couple girls come in and sat right ringside. I said, wow. I was unattached. I just, that was nice. Right on. So, so I sat down and talked with them, and, and they were interested in it. And then they said to me, so I'm trying to remember. She says, can you get us some, <laughs> some stuff to smoke? I said, well, let me, let me see. So I went to the, one of the guys. Well, in you the want Marlboros or Paul Walls? I, I went to one of the guys in the band, and I said, can you get any, uh, yeah. It's, it was, you know. It was called Reefer Madness back then. Yeah. He says, oh, yeah, sure. Well, Get a hold of these girls. We'll go. We'll, I'll take you to a house. Okay. So after the show was over, at the end of the night, we took these two girls, him and me. We went to this house he took it. And we walked in there, and we, and he got a hold of some marijuana. Yeah. And they're, and they're all smoking. Yeah. I, I never tried it because I never learned how to inhale. Right. So I didn't want to try it. I'm just going to sit and watch. They all got high. Yeah. And I said, well... This is not. This is boring to me, because they got spaced out. So I went back to my room, went home. And the next night, I'm doing a show. And I finished the first show, and the manager calls me over and says, "Don, a couple of guys here want to talk to you. Two guys from the FBI." Oh shit! They said, uh, "We're trying to find a couple of these girls that, you know, they're." Carrying marijuana, pushing around. At that time, it was all illegal, sure. really bad. Yeah. And he said, "I understand you. You spoke to these girls. Said, well, I just talked with them. I didn't didn't know what they were. I played dumb, you know, scared the hell out of me. Yeah. After that, <laughs> never heard this story in my life. No, I never told you that. Thank you, Don Friend. <laughs> I got a pot story from my dad. Yeah. You're listening to Energize, the Lawn Friend Podcast, where truths are revealed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a, a song from the 70s that's, that, that is special to me, but it is a story I remember. I used to come visit you and Sherry in Virginia when you, the first few years when you guys got married, and I'd spend summers and I got my first job at Chuck's Market, and I was working you know, in the, gro in the grocery, burning trash. In Richmond, you'd burn trash at the end of the day and filling the milk case. That's how I, that's how Lawn Friends started, man. Working in a, and checked, you know, working the, the bagging groceries. That was my gig. So this one summer that I go, I bring back this, one of my, this, my new album that's one of my favorite albums, Summer of 73. 
It's by Genesis. It's called uh, Selling England by the Pound, the record. And I, and I put it on the platter down because I want to play my dad this beautiful piano intro to this progressive rock band that I'm so deeply into. And I put it down and I play, <clears throat> I play this song. And he listens. He goes, that's, that's, nice, that's nice piano playing. I go, play it. He goes, what? I go, play it. You can play anything. So you sit down at the piano, that brown piano, the piano, I think it's the piano that, that's, that, you, gave you, to my, yeah. that you gave to my daughter. That's right. Right. And it's, it's, it's back in Los Angeles. And you sat down and you played, you played the, the, the opening. And this is for all my prog rock fans. I'm going to play this track now because I'm going to bring it back. We were just in the 50s and the 60s. Now we're bringing it into the 70s. We'll, we'll be in the 2000s by the end of the show. This is Firth the Fifth from Selling Them by the Pound. And this is Lon Friend, the Energize podcast. Like a cancer growth is removed by skin. Let it be revealed. A waterfall is madrigal. An inland sea is Songs, urge the same. 
That's my teen. That, those are my teens, man. Those are the Genesis records that, that, that informed my youth. Energize the Lawn Friend podcast from Jeff Young and Sherry Klein's beautiful sofa in, somewhere in the flats of Las Vegas on Skype. This is how we do it now since I transitioned out of the studio where my brother, engineer, producer Mike Stark is putting on the tunes and keeping us live around the world. That that song, uh, Jeff Young, accomplished guitar player sitting across from me. He knows that song. He knows Steve Hackett. I had a 40-year dream come true. Where? Chicago. Three months ago, three, four months ago, Steve Hackett's doing his Genesis Revisited tour where he's playing all the 70s songs. And he's got a killer band, but he's just standing in the middle. And you and you're seeing that he was the true architect of this of the Genesis sound of the the musical tapestries that became what was what was the greatest era of Prague ever the early to mid seventies. <clears throat> so he does this two and a half hour show in uh, Lake Charles. What was it called? It's about an hour outside Chicago. There's a river that runs through the town. Print Lake Charles is that what it's called? It's, and there's this theater there that's like this old theater. I think I talked about this when I came back on an earlier podcast. And after the gig, I just, you know, I see this person and I mention my name and I'm sitting in the dressing room with Steve Hackett. And there's like four people and there he is. And I, you know, I've had an interesting career. I've met a lot of, a lot of heroes, a lot of, a lot of great musicians. But, but you know, that was like surreal because I'd never met Steve Hackett and I, and I followed Genesis for 40 years and we talked and it was so cool because there are all these kind of like geeky people in the dressing room just staring at us while we were having this conversation. I said, you know, my brother and I used to, we, we used to play air guitar and it got us through really hard times at school. And we'd go home, we'd shut the door and we'd put, we put the lamb on, we put, put Foxtrot on and, and, and he put Selling England on and, and that's what that reminds me of when I hear his solo in Firth of Fifth which starts out with that beautiful piano and my dad says you know that's a fugue he, t- he, he remembered that's the only time I ever played it for you and it must have been four, 35, 40 years ago <laughs> that's crazy man so Don Friend is here tonight he's telling stories about the days of yore, and you know, there's times like this where I wish I could get a phone call because I would love, like, what would you want me to ask my dad if you've followed my writings or my travels? What would you want me to ask? Hey, Joanne, do you have a question you'd like me to ask my dad? Well, I want to. Yeah, Joanne's from Chicago, too. Yeah, he's been, he's been referencing 
Chicago, and I want to know what it was like to play in Chicago back in the day. I know you've been going through the different eras, right. but can I take it back to Chicago? Okay. Pop, did you play Chicago back in the day? Yes. Where? We played at a place called the Kit Kat Club, and it was downtown, right on Randolph Street. Okay. And right, downtown Chicago was great back in those days. It's still there was great a, now. There was a... Theater, every other door, you know, that you could see movies, yeah. and there were nightclubs, and there were restaurants, and there's, I think they're still there. They're still there. Downtown's still like that. Yeah, it's even Well, we even played better. the Kit Kat Club. Kit Kat Club. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and jazz was big in Chicago yeah. back in those days. Jazzes were started in Chicago, really. The Chicago Jazz Clubs. There was a Black Hawk restaurant, which is still there. On Wabash Avenue. We used to go to the Green Mill. And the, the London House, big steakhouse, right on on the Chicago River. The Green Mill? Wacker Drive. The Green Mill. You know? Yeah. And big one. names play there all the time. Okay. Big jazz names, you know. And so Chicago was one of the foundations of jazz, of music, that was so good. And one of the best symphonies in the country is in Chicago, Chicago Symphony which were teachers at my school at Roosevelt <laughs> during the day. All right. The musicians, and they would play for the symphony at night. Did you have to play the classics? Yes. What, I grew up playing classics. Like, like sonatas, Beethoven sonatas? Yes. I had to learn that first, Lon. Okay. Before you could learn any. When I went to college, when I took, before college, mm -hmm. when I was learning music, piano, the first thing they teach you is classics. Mm -hmm. You didn't play popular music. Mm -hmm. It was classical music. You started with Beethoven, mm -hmm. you know, Mozart. Bach was the fugues, right. like you just played. Right. And that's what you had to learn first. Right. Well, is it easier to play with guys who are classically trained? The what? Is it easier to play with other musicians that are classically trained? Uh, yes. Thank so you, Joanne. Thank you, Joanne Basil. If you're if you're a schooled musician. Well, is that the case in rock too? Yeah. Is that the case in rock, Jeff Young? Is it I'm gonna ask Jeff because he's a classically trained guitar player. Is it easier to play with players who have the same classically bred chops as you do? Not necessarily, my friends, because a lot of guys who play off the written page and are classically trained, and I think your father can back me up on this, can't improvise their way out of a paper bag. Okay, okay. So they get very stuck in the methodology right. and the pedagogy of it all. And rock and roll is so much about improvisation. There's a lot of jazz is also a big improvisational sure, music form. Sure. So it's great to be able to read music and I was lucky I learned, you know, playing tenor sax and viola as I was coming up and I learned how to read music and all that stuff and then I continued to use it in, in my guitar playing so it's handy. My, my personal feelings is I like to have a balance of both. You got to have a little bit of training and education and pedagogy and you got to have some street, mm -hmm. you know, so I took blues lessons from Steve Hunter. You played the Steve solos Hunter. on Aerosmith, Get Your Wings, on Train Kepper Rolling. Excuse me, those, that raw, the Steve Hunter, Dick Wagner, Alice Cooper records. Exactly. And Lou, and, is one of the best Cooper albums ever. And Lou Reed, excuse me, yeah. live. 
Do you remember a Rock guy? and Roll Animals, Steve Hunter, Dick Wagner? Thank you. Sweet Jane. Sweet buddy. Jane, one of the greatest. You remember a guy by the name of Les Paul? Yes, I played I play one or two of his guitars. <laughs> yes, of course, Bob. He, was he invented the electric know, guitar. Back in those days, we had a guitar player in the band, in my four-piece group. But he had to be able to play everything. Mm -hmm. He had to know the chords. He had to know the music, the melodies. And but he could sit in with anybody. Back in those days, musicians could go visit jazz clubs, and if they know him, they'd call him up. He'd, he'd sit in, pick up his horn, he'd play with anything. Mm -hmm. And it was a great, a lot of fun. And here's another thing. In Vegas, right here in Las Vegas, in the showrooms where the big names played, didn't cost you 20, 25 bucks to see a big name, you know, like Sinatra, Tony Bennett, singers like Mel Torme. And, but many nights, if you were in the audience and there was some big name in the audience, a performer, usually he'd get up and he would do a couple numbers with the headliner. Yeah. You know, ad lib. And the band would just pick up on it and back them up because they knew the songs and, and it was so easy to do. And that was a lot of fun. Sometimes you'd have a, a show that was surprise for you if somebody in the audience comes up and says, are you going to do a number with them? That doesn't happen today. You know. Do you remember when I took you to see George Carlin? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I took my dad to see George Carlin. What year was it? Ninety. Seven? Was it 97? Yeah. Around then? He was good. Oh, yeah. Well, I he, enjoyed him. He's my favorite comedian of all time. Carlin was genius. Carlin. Wow. Yeah. What? Who's this guy? He worships the sun. Uh, well, Carlin's, he's the archetype, man. He's a, he's a hero to just about every stand-up that's come along in the past 30 years. Ask any of them. Worships somebody praised to Joe Pesci. Praised to Joe Pesci. Did you ever hear this story? This was told to me by Harry James. Okay. And I checked it out later. It was a true story. Okay. There was a comedian back in the old days called Henny Youngman. Yeah. You remember him? I met him once when when Soupy Sales took me to the oh. to Friars Club in New York. Well, Henny Henny. Youngman. Yeah. This story goes around. First time he played Las Vegas came in here and he had never been here and he was so excited as a young guy and he said and when he got through the show he's talking to some of the band guys and some of the other people in the show but he says when are we going to have one of these wild parties when are we going to have one of these and he says guys say, we don't do this we we're busy working he says but i heard so much about these things finally they said they're going to pull a gag on him one night they pulled him aside and said, Henny, tomorrow night we're having a, a party. It's going to be a real ball. And you've got to come to this house to give me the address. And everybody's going to have dinner in the nude. The whole party. It's going to be an orgy. So he got so excited. He, he came the next night and he, and he walked in. There's a waiter standing at the door. <laughs> oh, hello, Mr. Youngman. And they saw that they had some hangers out there with clothes hanging on it. 
And he got so excited, he ripped off all his clothes, and he ran into the dining room, and there was 40 of his best friends fully dressed in tuxedos. <laughs> <laughs> and he's standing there with nothing on. <laughs> That's a true story. Okay, so, all right, so we've had orgies and pot stories. This is Don Friends Podcast today. Yeah, we've... This is, this is why I find it so fascinating that, you know, my, my dad is really has been my biggest, biggest fan because he, he's the one who didn't ostracize me from the family when I got my job at Hustler Magazine in 1982. <laughs> he was in Richmond, and he would walk to the liquor, st- the, the liquor store, and he'd get a copy every month. He was proud that I was writing for a national magazine, right? Right. Right. So yeah, well. yeah, well, especially my porn reviews, but, but, but then I wrote my books and he read my books, but the second, I'll never, the second book, remember I came into town two and a half years ago and I did a book signing at the hard rock and you came out and, and, yeah. and he calls me like a week later cause he reads biographies voraciously. You know, like he said, he read Johnny Carson's book and he, and, and, and he says, we went you know, to Phoenix for your write-up. You went to Phoenix for Planet Rock. For the first book. Yeah. Which, and, and what's the name? Didn't show up. Alice Cooper, because his wife got sick. His wife, Cheryl, got sick. But that's the only reason he didn't show, because it was my 50th birthday yeah. in Las Vegas, in, in Phoenix. Yeah, that was Tempe, Arizona, uh, Borders, Rested Soul. So, uh, like, a week after the signing, my dad calls me, and I'm back in L.A. He says, you know, I read your book, Sweet Demotion, and I, I got to tell you something. I really think it's a book you wrote for people who know you. I'm not so sure that people outside of those who know you are really going to understand it. But what I really learned was a lot about my son that I didn't know. Because it's a very naked book. It's an intimate book. And my dad doesn't know about my spiritual journeys or my, or, or my, you know, my indiscretion with the Paris hooker during the sting, in the sting chapter. You didn't know any, any of that stuff, right? I learned a lot of things about you. I <laughs> never knew you went through. But he never, ju- he's never judged me. And I think that's what's so cool about relationship you have with your dad. And you don't, you don't live in the same city for, with your dad for a long time. And then, of course, uh, obviously I'm being more um, uh, insightful about these things now because I just lost my mom. And when you lose your mom, all of a sudden you start thinking about your dad because he's your only parent you got left. And it's, it, it, maybe it's not the – it's one of the reasons why – I think I found myself back in the city because I wanted to be closer to you. You know, I want to hang out with you more. And, and, and I, I definitely want to hear more stories about your pot and your orgy days. Because those I didn't know. I'm they having, were not my stories. I know they weren't yours. But, but it's, uh, it's just But you know, we played in awesome. Reno. Yeah. We had nice experiences. <laughs> I worked opposite Les Brown's band. Les Brown had a big band back yeah, in those days. Yeah, Bandery now. He's the guy that discovered Doris Day. Okay. Oh. Doris Day recorded her first record with Les Brown's band, Sentimental Journey. That put her into the movies. And the biggest film she ever did was 
The Man Who Knew Too Much, Alfred Hitchcock, because what song came from that movie? Que sera, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. And Jimmy Stewart is trying, to, he, he's trying to hear where's that sound coming from. It's still the most popular song I play. People still really? want to hear it. They ask for that. They like, they love Doris Day. Oh, man. And they sing, they sing along with me. Even people in, in an Alzheimer place I play at where they don't even know their relatives that come to visit them anymore. But they remember the words to the songs, and they sing along. They sing Sentimental Journey like they know it from the beginning. And Doris Day lives in Carmel, California. She does. She's 94 years old, yeah. and she's still around, but she's famous for that one song. When we worked opposite Les Brown one night, a guy sitting in the audience was Tony Bennett. Bringing us back to Tony Bennett. He came in to see Les Brown, and he wound up watching us a little bit. Now, Tony Bennett, it's interesting because I've met him three times, and, and I met him in, the, in my friend Neil's building in New York because he lives in the penthouse of my friend Neil, who I've known since grade school, who I worked at Food Mart Grocery with because when I came back from, from Richmond, Virginia, I had to get a job, and I worked at a grocery store in Los Angeles. That was my first job when I was 16. Anyway. Um, on just sheer happenstance, he it, there, I get out of the elevator, and then Tony Bennett's getting in the elevator. It happened three times in the last ten years. I've been going to fifteen years. I've been going to visit Neil, and I say, "Hello, Mr. Bennett." And he's always in like his pajama bottoms and slippers, or he always look and he looks so like beautiful, like he has this glow about him. This, and I can imagine just girls like melting. Didn't the girls melt from Tony Bennett, Pop? Wasn't he like Sinatra, like a yeah? The women he's love him. Yeah. He's an icon. He's because he, he's your age, right? He's a little he, older. He's even. older than me. Yeah, he's still singing. But he's still singing. The voice yeah. is as good as ever. It's amazing. And Forty er fans, you know, you got the spirit. You got the spirit of Tony Bennett. Uh, yeah. So, I guess this is a good time to play some Tony Bennett. We might as well play the song that made him famous. That is gonna run for mayor. Yeah, that it, it, from San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's and he's from New York. All right, let's listen to some Tony Bennett. This is Energize the Lawn Friend and Don Friend podcast. The loveliness of Paris seems somehow sadly gay. The glory that was Rome is of another day I've been terribly alone and forgotten in Manhattan I'm going home to my city by the bay I left my heart in San Francisco high on a hill it calls to me 
to be well, little cable cars climb halfway to the stars. The morning fog may chill the air. I don't care. My love waits there In San Francisco Above the blue And windy sea the only podcast in America where you hear Genesis and Tony Bennett in the same hour. Energize the Lawn Friend podcast. Tonight, my special guest, Don Friend, father of Lawn Friend. <laughs> and he loves that song. You, you sing that song, do yes. you not? Yes. And you play that sweet piano still part. among the most requested songs. That's right. And the folks all know the words where I play in a sing-along. They just love it. That was the beauty of the old songs. You could sing along. Yeah. And they, everybody would know the words. Yeah. Music today, when I hear it, I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> it's, it's not your music, Bob. No, but at the volume and the drums, the beat has taken over, yeah. and you don't hear the lyric, so you don't really know what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of anger out there. But there's good music being made. There's 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 good music being made. Young young people are searching their souls, and they're inspired by this music of the '50s, '60s, '70s. In fact, Joanne and my friend Ernie C, great guitar player from Body Count, is in L.A. listening to us, and he said, "What did he say, Joanne?" He just texted me and asked when we were going to bring it into the '80s. <laughs> <laughs> well, tonight we're not going to make it into the '80s. I'm sorry. Old school. In fact, the, the song I'm closing the show with, you will sing along with. You won't even know it, most of you, unless you're a hard, hard, hardcore, old school David Bowie fan. But David Bowie's birthday was last week. He was 67. There were a lot of birthdays last week, Jeff. Yeah. David Bowie, Jimmy Page, Elvis Presley, Robbie, Robbie Krieger, all within a two-day period. Rod Stewart. Really? Yeah, I think so. Elvis Presley. I know yeah, that Yeah, his birthday. <laughs> Elvis <laughs> Did you ever see Elvis? Oh, yeah. Where? You know, uh, he opened the big hotel here. Which International Hotel. The International. And he was there after Barbara Streisand opened it. Okay. She was there for two weeks, and she left. They booked him in for two weeks. He wound up staying two years. Yeah. And he became an institution here in Vegas. 
Yeah. And if you go over to the International. It's now the Hilton, right? It, no, it's the LVH. It was the. Oh, the Las Vegas Hilton. It made, became the LVH. Okay. But they, in the lobby, in the front, when you walk in, there's a whole tribute to Elvis with his guitar in there and some of his trophies. I have a, I have a story about that, sort of. My Steve Lukather, my great guitar player, my, my friend for almost 40 years from, from high school, uh, Toto was playing the Hilton several years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And um, after the gig, I go meet him backstage. He goes, you want, hey, let's go out and have a cocktail. I said, all right. He goes, just hang out, wait till I finish up. And then I say hi to the rest of the band. And, and then we get in the elevator. And, and, and we're in the elevator, and, and, and Luke goes, I want you to stop a minute and meditate on this moment. I go, why? Because you're standing in the elevator that took Elvis to his last gig. <laughs> wow. And I just paused, and I went, yeah. That's so much about what I'm about is understanding the sacred nature of place and time. And when you connect it to rock and roll, it's special. Do you remember when we saw Bon Jovi the first time at the uh, Forum? Forum in Los Angeles. And yeah. we sat with the sound soundboard. And next to me was Paul Stanley. <laughs> yes, yes, Pop, I do. He was sitting next to me. That's right. And I'm sitting there, and nobody knows me. But the girls, young girls, came running up, wanted autographs from him. And then they're asking me for autographs. Like I was somebody. <laughs> I do remember that now. I know. Well, Paul and Gene are like two Jewish uncles. Yeah. And my dad relates. He can relate to. I am wits. Paul, Gene Simmons was born in Israel. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. I met his mom. She was a Holocaust survivor. I met his mom at, at the Meadowlands. Is that right? The Meadowlands show in 90. Two or 93, that was the night that, that me, Megan, and Joyce rode back from the gig with Gene, Shannon, and their son in the back of his, in a van, wow. back to the city from the Meadowlands. And his mom, he goes, well, I'd like to introduce you to my mother. And I met his mom. And she's, a, yeah. He has as much reverence for his mom yeah. about how she believed in his musical vision and what he was about as your mom had in you. So that's, that's a shout-out. And I don't have any kiss queued up, so don't wait for it. I'll play it next week. But, okay, so listen. I'm going to play a long Bowie song at the end of the show. It's going to make everybody feel good. It's going to make, it, 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 a lot of people believe that this, when it first came out, was, was Bowie doing his Hey Jude because of how ubiquitous Hey Jude became by the Beatles. But the thing about David Bowie is he was like 20 when he wrote and recorded it. He was a child, and his birthday was last week, and I just want to, I'm going to go out with this song, and I want to thank you, Pop, for coming and talking. Is there any lasting thoughts you have? You want to say anything? Did you enjoy this? Is this better than the night we did Pirate Radio Saturday yeah. night in Los Angeles? Did Bowie invent that knife? No, Pop. No, oh. no, no. It's a... That, <laughs> that is... Just a joke. This is Energize Alon Friend Podcast. Next week, I don't know where we'll be. Maybe I think Jeff and Sherry are going to be in. They're going to be in L.A. Yeah, so I'm going to have to figure something out next week because I've got really comfortable here after two weeks. 
I know where I'm going to be Wednesday night in Las Vegas if you're here is at Vamped, which everybody tells me. I just was at Lita Ford, and three people came up to me, like my friend Leah, the photographer, Leah Burlington, who gave me a great massage, the rock and roll masseuse, who's way into all those walking festival Nordic metal bands. She says, you got to go to Vamp Lawn. Everybody there knows you and your legacy. I said, okay, I'm going to go to Vamp, but I'm not going until Jeff Young plays Vamp, and that's Wednesday night. Jeff Young and Sherry. Jeff and Sherry, and they're going to do the track that we played last week. John Zito Band, Electric Jam. They play first, then we'll play, then we'll play again. Now, who's your band? Our band is Jeff Tatora. Jeff Tatora, my old friend from the Blue Man Group. Yes. And Barry Barnes. And Barry Barnes. You may have seen him on Counting Cars on the History Channel with Danny Coker, because he's his bass player as well. Okay, bass player, Counting Cars. It's all, it's all coming together, man. This is the Vortex. And there have been no chemtrails for the last three days. I think it's because it's too windy. But that's a whole nother show. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining. Pop, thanks. You were great. You were great. Oh, audience. See? All right, so that's a wrap. The Lawn Friend, Energize the Lawn Friend, Don Friend podcast, August, I mean, J- January 13th, 2013. 14. 14. 14. Fuck. I'm a year behind. That's see, I'm getting old. If I'm getting old, what's You're going getting on? old. What am I getting? <laughs> <laughs> you're, I am old. You're getting better. Anyway, okay, that's it. That's a wrap. We'll see you next week. And this is this is for you, old Bowie fans. It's called Memory of a Free Festival. Maybe It'll lift your speed. Memory of the Free Festival.
And fly it from the toughest top Of all the tops that man has pushed Beyond his brain Satori must be something just the same We scan the skies with rainbow eyes And saw machines of every shape and size We talked with tall Venusians passing through And Peter tried to climb aboard But the captain shook his head And away they soared Climbing through the ivory vibrant cloud Someone passed and listened the crowd And we walked back to the road Unchained
the sun.